Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. It is definitely game over for the Philadelphia Flyers, especially if John Tortorella was 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 awake during that one. You know he's not going to be happy with that effort. Big Montreal Canadiens win. We saw input output from the defenseman so that's something we're going to talk about the uh the overall uh you know just effort level you're seeing from a lot of players now that the lineup's in complete chaos sean uh you know turn chris Turney, of course scored his first goal i know the tank team out there is very unhappy but hey wins happen there's nothing you can do to stop it we have a fantastic guest today uh montreal native and also one of the referees that, that, that actually reached the 1500 mark in the NHL, which is, you know, among elite companies. So we have Dave Jackson, who's joining us very shortly. And if you're paying attention, his son, Ryan, was actually the linesman today. So we can talk about that as well. Before we get going, I just want to give a shout out to everyone in the chat. Let me just pull that up real quick. See you beautiful people. Uh, thank you for joining us. Also, just right now, I'm going to say it before I forget, make sure to, to like the chat, subscribe, or else my bosses will be upset. And really cool news, tomorrow we have Owen Beck on the show. So back-to-back -back stellar guests. It'll be a lot of fun. Hey, James is here. Trinka's here. Canty Canadian's here as well. Uh, Trizak, big fan. Jean-François Paris as well. Hi, Robert. Hi, everybody. Let's get right into it with Dave in just a moment. But for now, a quick word from our sponsors. Want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction Canada Sportsbook. Hockey season's well underway. Pitchers and catchers have reported, so I know all the baseball folks are happy about that. And, uh, you know, the baseball season is around the corner. So, you can bet pregame, live, in play. There's also a ton of prop bets made for Canadians by Canadian Sports Interaction. Makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Ontario only, please play responsibly. And now let's bring in our guest, Dave Jackson. Dave, how's it going, buddy? It's going great. How are you doing, Mark? I, I can't complain. You know, Dave, I actually brought you on for a Flyers game thinking we'd have a lot to talk about. But, uh, you know, there wasn't much going on there. These aren't the Flyers of old, are they? It's certainly not the Broad Street Bullies, are they? No, uh, I've never seen a team this soft in Philadelphia. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sure Tortorella will change that as the uh, as time goes by because uh, he likes heavy hockey. He likes likes an effort, likes the physicality, um, you know. So I wish him the best of luck. Well, that's one I, thing. I hope better days are ahead for him. Uh, yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you was how was it dealing with a guy like John Tortorella? You know, I feel like he's calmed down a little bit, uh, you know. But how was he with you? Was he respectful? Did he drop those f bombs? How did that go? Yes to both. Um, <laughs> he he was uh, he's one guy I get asked about the most, yep. and uh, he's one of my favorite coaches because you always knew where you stood with John Tortorella. He wouldn't work you. He wouldn't be on you every penalty. There's some coaches where you know you call three penalties on their team and they're all obvious penalties, and they try and get your attention and they're just giving you one of these. Come on, Dave, you sure about that? Yeah. And they're just trying to work you. And John doesn't do that. He John only yells when he feels he has a reason to yell, and, and he'll let you have it. I mean, he'll let you have it, but you can go over there and you let him have it too. You go <laughs> nose to nose, and you know, there's been times maybe where I felt, geez, maybe I stepped over the line a little bit. <clears throat> I've skated by him uh, on a on a stoppage and said, "Hey, John, about that conversation." He'll look at me and go, "Dave, I've forgotten about it, so you forget about it too." And like you just move on. So. so 
I love John. I love John Tortorella. So there is a certain level of yeah, I might I might insult you quickly, but there is that level of respect once it's all said and done. Where was there ever a coach that didn't quite understand that uh, that you had to build that level of respect before before unloading on referees? Yeah, there's been a couple, and they're guys that guys that didn't really pay their dues uh, in the NHL as assistant coaches. I mean, I'm talking over the years, and yeah. no one specifically, but. Um, I find if you come right from junior or come right from college, you have a tendency to be able to intimidate the referees a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you expect you can do the same thing when you step into the NHL. I had one, I had one coach one time uh, stood in the doorway and demanded I come over and talk to him. And he was literally yelling, I demand you come and speak to me. And I remember Brian Murphy, the longtime linesman, multiple Stanley Cup you know, finals, slid by him. He goes... <laughs> You can demand all you want because he's not coming. <laughs> this is before a game, during well, a game? Uh, no, this or? is during a game. During okay. a game. He didn't like one of the calls I made. And, you know, I always I always tell referees or younger referees, going to the bench to talk to the coach is a really good tool in, in, yeah. in your toolbox. But you want to use it to your advantage. Mm-hmm. You want to go over there when it benefits you. You don't want to go over there when he's demanding you come talk to him. That's just, you know, that's just a license for it to go wrong so. yeah or saying yeah. Uh, have another donut you know that's another uh, thing that you're not supposed to say to referees out there if anyone anyone's there, yeah, there younger you here you can go google that and that's the wrong way to, to speak to uh to referees you never had any incident like that where where, where did you ever have that where coaches were, were red with anger well maybe but not <laughs> to the point where it got to the uh, personal social media the way the way that one did i mean that was uh yeah that was memorable in fact his brother just retired uh Terry Koharski. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's a long time American hockey league referee. Just retired about two weekends ago. Jeez. Um, oh, well, they used to call him Timbit, Timbit <laughs> in minor leagues. Cause you know, Duncan donuts or uh, Tim Hortons. Yeah. yeah. So you had big, big coho. And then you had Timbit, which is kind of funny. And he didn't find it so funny, but it was, uh, <laughs> that, well, that was the era. There's a certain, yeah. Like you say, there's a certain level of respect you have to build, but these days, Dave, and we're going to get to the chat. Obviously you all have a thousand questions. Trizak wants to know about goalie interference. Harry, we're going to keep that for later because goalie interference. I'm not even sure Dave, who's a master of I'll, the rules. I'll come back it. for three. I'll come back for three hours. On that one. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, well, Hey, you know what, Dave, let's just get into it. The, the verbiage and the rules is so vague that it comes down to a lot of decision-making from referees, right? That's a, I mean, to me, that's what the crux of the issue is. It comes down to a lot of decision-making by, by the referees, but ultimately the final call is made by Toronto in the Situation Room. Mm-hmm. And there's a finite number of guys in there. So you don't have 36 referees. Well, you do have 36 referees with different interpretations, but ultimately the final call is made by a group of about five guys in Toronto, and they're pretty consistent. And... If you were to read the rule and actually, you know, do a deep dive into it and watch examples, and uh, by the way, NHL.com mm-hmm. has a video rule book, video rule book, and it has a 10-minute video on goalie interference. It'll clear up a ton of questions. But I'm going to be honest. I see so many of them, and I called so many of them, that if you showed me 20 right now, just 20 random goalie interference calls, yeah, I'm not trying to brag, but I'd probably get 18 of them right. Oh, like, really? Knowing what knowing what the call is going to be. Yes, because hmm. I know how it's interpreted hmm. and I know what the dynamics are and what the like what the parameters are, what what they look for. And it's pretty darn consistent. I know people especially in Montreal with Gallagher oh, yeah. and all the time he gets <laughs> he gets goals allowed. And by the way, I love Brendan Gallagher. I mean, I would take him on my team. Yeah. Super respectful guy in the ice. 
I had a lot of time for Brandon Gallagher. But people always say he gets his goals disallowed and Matthews and Ovechkin never get their goals disallowed. He scores his goals from on top of the crease. Oh, yeah. He is that, – that's his office. When you score your goals from there, there's going to be more goals disallowed. You're in a high-traffic area. Ovechkin mm-hmm. scores them 25 feet out. So there's a big difference in how the goals are scored. We, uh, it's funny because when you look at Brendan Gallagher, he actually – you know, he, he creates more penalties for the opposing team than he takes. So, you know, and this idea that the refs hate him, but there was, there has been situations where he has mentioned that some referees specifically told him, Hey, Gally, why don't you shut up? You know, not, not verbatim. I know you guys don't uh, ever cheer for a particular team or root, but there must be some players who, you know, you're human impressions happen. Eventually you start to kind of get a read on someone. So there must be some bias there, right? Because that's just human nature. You see Gallagher starting to yap and you know that he was making the trouble. So how do you counter that bias, which is just normal, a normal human reaction? You know, there's guys that get under your skin and and you have to know that going in there that they're just the kind of guy that's going to get, some guys aren't going to like you. I mean, Mm -hmm. as much as I wanted, you know, the players to like me, that wasn't my job. My, My job, you know, description was to apply the rules. And if they don't like it, it's too bad. But you like having a good rapport with the players. And a lot of times you can clear the air. I mean, I've had players go nuts. And, you know, I've teed them up unsportsmanlike uh, in 10 or whatever. And then beginning of the next period, I'll search the player out. I'll skate around. I'll go, hey, man, are we good? Because, honestly, I'm good. Yeah, you, you stepped over the line. I did what I had to do, but I've forgotten about it. How about you? And the, it'll take them by surprise sometimes. And they'll be like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm good. And then it kind of makes them feel, oh, good. He's not out to get me. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. Okay, before we get into the rules, and I have a lot of questions I want to ask you. You had your son was uh, the linesman at the game today, so he got injured. Yeah. Um, in the same game, it wasn't. I think where Jake Evans actually got injured. But anyways, it was the Florida Panthers game. Uh, what's it like yeah. seeing your son out there? You know, okay. And I have a question for you because I think it's insulting the coaches' review for, or I guess it's not coaches; it's automatically triggered. But for offside, I think linesmen in general do a great job. So I want to know what's it like watching your son out there. And secondary, what's your opinion on going back and reviewing offsides? Because honestly, I feel like it's one of the worst things we've ever implemented in hockey. Well, <clears throat> watching my son, I mean, I'm, I'm so proud of him. Um, you know, he obviously doing a slightly different job than I did. I was a referee. He, he's working the lines. Um, but, you know, he's 28 years old, and every time the puck crosses his line, I still hold my breath. Yeah. Like, I'm watching the game. I just, you know, you just don't want your kids to make mistakes. You just don't, right? you don't want them to fail. So you're just cheering for them all the time, right? Um, it's funny, when he got hurt, I was actually, I was, planning on watching the game you know here in the u.s espn plus carries all the games yeah you can just go back and watch it on demand basically so i was out having dinner with my wife and daughter and my phone blew up you know i must have had 50 texts you know how's ryan is everything okay and i'm like <laughs> i have no idea what happened to him uh so what he did was he, he dislocated his kneecap which which sounds really bad but that's probably the best thing that could have happened you know didn't he didn't tear any acls mcls and uh, he was back in about 30 days. So Jeez. that that was really good. Um, as far as the offside, I love the, the concept of video review for offside because it was brought in. Do you remember? Yeah. Uh, Matt Duchesne was I remember 10 the play. feet offside. 17 feet offside. Yeah, absolutely. He was in, yes. yeah. he was in Newfoundland so, and, and, and the red line was somewhere between Renfrew and Arnprior. Yeah. Exactly. And there was nothing we could do to make that call right. And 
so the idea, the premise of let's let's be able to rectify that. Let's bring something in to rectify it. Okay. Unfortunately, it's a slippery slope. It's, mm-hmm. You can't you can't just say, well, we're only going to review it. I think when it's a lot, but when it's close, we're not going to review it. It's all or nothing, right? Yeah. So now we're reviewing inches and that isn't good that's not what the rule was brought in to do um, my suggestion a fix i i suggested was why not put a line about 18 inches inside the blue line like a thin line and okay. if the puck or the player who's offside hasn't reached that second line you, there's no review so kind of like a grace area a grace period but on the ice yeah okay oh. right I, and then people, then people say to me, "Well, you're still gonna have the, the the was he on that line, the inch or whatever? You will, but linesmen don't miss 18 inch offsides no. very often, so it's not you're not gonna have a lot of reviews. The ones that you have will still be an inch or a centimeter, but they're not gonna be very many of them because the linesmen don't miss 18 inch offside calls. Well, I, you know, I, I've very been watching often, hockey anyways. for the better part of four decades, and and that that shine miss miss was one of the few mistakes. I actually think ref, uh, linesmen do an incredible job considering how quick the game is. And even with the challenges, you're, you know, they're still right almost all the time. So I'm right there with you. The spirit of the game is, or the spirit of the rule is kind of being abused a little bit here. And it's unfortunate because hockey is such a fast sport that it, it really is the, the you know, uh, such a juxtaposition and momentum, right? It kind of kills every single game. Right. So if I had one rule to take yeah. out, it would be that one. Which rule would you change if you had a chance to right now? You're in charge. They say, go ahead, Dave, change one rule. What would it be? Uh, I would like to see – well, there's there's two. I, I would like to see um, – we have a rule in the NHL rulebook, checking from behind, mm-hmm. and it's only, a, it's only a major in game misconduct. There's no option for a minor penalty. Okay. So when somebody hits somebody from behind and they don't project them into the boards, they don't charge them, they don't cross-check them or elbow them – but the guy's head snaps back and, you know, you put the shoulder right into the small of his back. That's quasi-legal play. And everybody goes nuts. Oh. And if we had a two-minute minor for that, the referee – I mean, if it's if it's bad enough, a referee will call roughing yeah. or, or cross-check. But, but I think we would just clarify the rulebook a bit if we had a two-minute minor for checking from behind. Yeah, absolutely. And you take a little um, bit of, the, a little bit of the, the judgment call. Out of out of right. uh, hands there, yeah, because you you know it's a le- illegal play, but none of the rules actually uh, cover right. it. And everybody in the stands has a kid who plays hockey, yeah. and they see their kid get called for checking from behind, and they're wondering why we don't call it because it's not really in our rule book that way. Jeez, well, you and... know, it's it's funny because when we go into the rule book, I was just reading about high stick high sticking the other day, and I think one of the things that we we criticize referees a lot, but even us as media, I'm learning about rules every day, and the rules that I thought were applied, yeah. Uh, the the rule the verbiage is actually completely different. So I, I need to do a refresher once in a while. I, I love that idea. Now before we get into the questions, I want people to know in the chat. Mark, if yeah. you just if you just watch ESPN games, I'm there to explain the rules. Oh, that's all you need. <laughs> there you go. That makes sense. Well, hey, I rather complain blindly on Twitter with the echo chamber. But you know, for example, I don't know if okay. you remember at one point, um, it might have even been the game where your son was playing. But anyways, right off the face off. Uh, Mike Matheson kind of swung at the puck and there was a player on his knees and it, it gashed him right in the face. I mean, he started leaking. Yeah. I right away said, hey, man, I understand why the opposing 
team's fans are upset that was high sticking i go reading the rules and it wasn't because he was actually making an effort at the, at the puck even though it was midair and if he was the center it would have been an, a, a penalty because he was on his knees but it was the winger so it wasn't how do you how do you memorize Correct. all this now, dave how do you how do you get all this lined talking. up <laughs> well so you gotta remember anytime you're anytime you're making a normal shooting motion yeah it's uh, you're allowed to follow through and that's it in there because you don't want a player afraid to take a slap shot because he's got somebody coming to block the shot that, Oh, I might hit him with my follow through. Mm -hmm. That's on the player blocking the shot. So a normal follow through, whether it be a forehand or backhand and you cut the guy is not a penalty, but it was more of a, and, he was kind of trying to clear the puck more than anything. Is that considered a yeah, shot? But it, was still, it was still a normal, it was still okay. a normal shooting motion. Aha. Um, okay. Normal shooting motion. And the other thing was it needs to be above your normal height of the shoulder. So if there's a guy on his knees, and if it's not a normal shooting motion, for example, and you just go to swing at a puck, bat at a puck in the air, and you hit a guy in the face, but he's only two feet off the ice, you're probably not going to see that called either because your stick wasn't high. You were you were playing for the puck. Now, any kind of wild swing, though, like let's say the puck's bouncing, you have one hand on your stick, and you make like a... A like brochure a or a, a McSorley there? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but, but in an attempt to play the oh, puck. Okay, yeah. And people go... An attempt to play the puck, and they go, well, he was shooting the puck. He was, but it wasn't a normal shooting motion. Which is included in the rules. The they do dick. mention the, yes. the, yeah. Okay. Yes. See, that was humbling for me because I got a ton of traction on saying it should have been a penalty. Then when I went and I looked up the rules, and I said the referees actually got that square on, dead on. That, when I clarified that part, it got two retweets. When I complained about the referees, it got about 600 retweets. So, <laughs> so it just goes to show the... Uh, and that's... All I do on Twitter is I notice. So you imagine how much how much negativity I get. Well, is there a review? Because I know, okay, for example, on and it's not that I hold a grudge or anything, but in Game Four of the 2006 Eastern Conference Quarterfinals on November, on uh, August 9th, 2006, they missed a penalty, a clear penalty on Saku Koivu. It was actually Justin Williams yep. hit him in the eye. Kate, I yep. know you guys don't you hate it when you miss yeah, that. They did. And I'm sure it, it, it weighs heavily. Is there a re review process afterwards when stuff like that happens? Uh, are you talking about as far as to assess a penalty or just in the big picture? In the big picture. Like, let's say, for example, I see in the NBA oftentimes they have their own Twitter account where they explain it. They say, hey, we got this wrong. We reviewed it. This is how we're going to go forward. Is there anything like that in place for NHL referees? Yeah. Maybe at the end of the year, a review or anything like that? Well, let's let, let me get this off my chest because it's probably the 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 thing I tweet about the most. Yeah. Uh, everybody says the referees call whatever they want and they're not accountable. We wish Absolutely. they were more accountable. Yeah. And I've we said wish, that. Yeah. yeah. Trot them out. Let them, trot them out. Make them have a press conference. <laughs> well, the thing people don't understand is trotting referees out to make a press conference. When you trot a Montreal player out who maybe didn't have a great game, you've still got friendly media. They're not there to try nope. and, you know, they're not there to just get the guy. Um, no one's mad at the player. If you trotted a referee out, people would be mad at the referee. He's got nobody really. There's no there's no prior rapport. You're not in his dressing room every day talking to him. There, you know, he doesn't know the reporters. And that's a recipe for disaster. But as far as being accountable, mm -hmm. every game, every game that's played, so in Toronto in a situation room, there is somebody assigned to every single game. If there's 10 games going on at once, there's 10 guys in Toronto watching that game with about four screens each. And they log, they're called loggers. They log every single call that's made and every single call in their opinion that's missed. 
And that those comments get forwarded to the referee. So when he gets back to his hotel room after the game or the next morning, he can open up his laptop, go on to the game, and he's watching the game. He can read the comments down the side about, look at this call, look at this call. This one was a good call. This one wasn't. So that's self-evaluation. Secondly, there is supervisors that are Mm -hmm. ex-officials who travel around the league. And I would say probably every official has a supervisor at his game, 40 to 50% of his games, and there's an immediate debrief after the game. If you didn't do your job that night, you're going to hear about it in the dressing room immediately after the game. Okay. Then there's a mid-season rating, which they don't actually give you a number, but it's a mid-season letter. Uh, it's, it's a performance review. Mm-hmm. And they talk about your judgment, your positioning, your skating, your demeanor, uh, your rapport with the players, your rules knowledge. And then ultimately, your ultimate job review is April 15th. Yeah. There's 36 referees. Only 20 get playoffs. Well, that that's so, how the public judges it, right? Is is how the NHL or how, right. how they're feeling about the referees is who gets into the playoffs. Yeah. Right. And they're saying, well... Referees should be fined when they make a mistake. Well, <laughs> you don't find players when they make a mistake. You find players when they do a deliberate action, like swing their stick or do something. When a player coughs up the puck in the slot or the goalie fans on a shot, you don't find them. It's an honest mistake. Yeah. So you want to talk about monetary guys that don't get playoffs. A, a guy that works the finals can make an equivalent to about 25% of his base salary going really? all the way to the finals. So wow. there's a huge financial incentive to to work in playoffs. And if you don't have a good season, your body of work doesn't allow you to get into playoffs. Now, there's, there's certain cases. There's guys that are rookies and stuff. They probably had a great season. They might not get playoffs just because of numbers. But, I mean, you don't get playoffs, it costs you money. Mm-hmm. And to get into the playoffs, it's your body of work for those 82 games. Once you get into the playoffs, uh, you know, if you're Wes McCauley, you've worked – Eight, last eight finals, let's say, for example, Jeez. you don't rest on your laurels in 82 games. You're now being judged in that seven game, however many games you work in that first round. Mm-hmm. If you get outworked in that round, if you make a, a glaring mistake, if you're not calling the standard, you're not going to the next round. It doesn't matter how good your season was and doesn't matter how many finals you did in the previous years. You're judged... It's, a, it's just like teams. Yeah. Teams will win the cup and get eliminated in the first round of the playoffs the next year. Same with the referees. Well, I didn't. I, I, I never heard anyone suggest the fines. That's ridiculous, you know, right off the bat. I mean, there's no other job in the world where you make a slight mistake and, and you know, you're fine. But I do love hearing that there is some accountability in the sense, but for public nowadays, we, we feel like we have to have a, you know, control, a little bit of control of everything. So that's, I feel like that's something. Well, in, sh- yeah, shows like uh, you know, Survivor and Big yeah. Brother. Everybody <laughs> thinks they have the the you know housewives of whatever. Yeah, you, they think they have the the right to know what's going on. We want to know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. you're gonna but tell us. I think no, it's no, more. You, of a, you, we don't. It's a we consistency don't. thing, right? I think if we comes down to it, if if someone's gonna come, I think from in game rules are applied pretty evenly. How do you somehow yeah. make it more consistent? Because I know the NHL has crews that kind of um, you know rotate to make it so that there's yeah. no, you know, no, no bias or nothing unfair. But that also comes with automatic inconsistency, doesn't it, Dave? How do you how do you kind of make it so that you can well, rotate crews and keep it somewhat consistent? So I went to 32 NHL training camps through my career. Okay. And then now working for ESPN, I was fortunate enough to be allowed to attend this most recent NHL training camp. And I was there just for two days mm-hmm. while they discussed rules. And... <clears throat> Gary Bettman was there. Yeah. 
And his message to the referees was, you guys know what the standard is. Stephen Walkham has prepared you. We've shown video ad nauseum all day. This is a penalty. This is a penalty. These are good hits. These ones aren't. You guys know what the standard is. We, we, we pay you well. You know what the standard is. If it's a penalty, call the penalty and we'll support you. That's Mr. Batman saying that. Okay. If it's a penalty, call the penalty and we'll support you. So the guys know what the standard is. It really shouldn't matter who you're working with, mm-hmm. what the team is, what the score is. I'm, I'm not, that's in a perfect world. Now, obviously, I know calls get missed. Yep. Um, marginal calls get made. But in a perfect world, these guys know what the standard is. And it's no longer about consistency because you can go out and be consistently bad. <laughs> hey, that, I made a whole career go, on it, Dave. Like <laughs> <laughs> no, but you can go out and call nothing. You can call yeah. no penalties. But you're affecting the and, game when and, you call no penalties, right? I mean, that's but you're but but you're consistent, right? <laughs> you're not calling you're not calling anything. So consistency, that word's kind of gotten thrown out. Yeah. And what guys say now, and what they preach, they preach at the training camp is be true to the standard. Okay. You know what the standard is. If it meets the standard. Call the penalty regardless of the time or score of the game. If it doesn't meet the standard, then don't call it. And that's how they try to maintain consistency. Until somebody's done the job, though, and the <laughs> yeah. beat of the game and the sight lines you have to fight for on, on every play because it's constantly moving and what looks like a penalty here might not look like a penalty there. Um, it's, it's easy to it's criticize. A lot easier, it's a lot easier said than it is to actually be uh, performed. Yeah, and, and I, mean, I, I know just based on how many times off the live play I complain about something and then say, whoops, I saw another angle and now I understand why they applied it correctly. But hey, that's why fans are, yeah. are it's short for fanatics. And we're actually here with uh, ESPN rules specialist and former NHL referee Dave Jackson, Montreal native, Point Claire native. Also, I, I mean, we we're speaking a little bit of French before, but Dave, did you speak French to some of your... Oh, I actually have a question for you, and we're going to get to some of the chats. Do you remember your first game? Ben, oui. So it was always the New, New Jersey Quebec. Devils versus the Quebec Nordic, right? Calice uh, de Quebec. Yep. Do you remember who... No, that was my question. Guy Fleur. Yeah. Guy Fleur was on the starting lineup. Wow. And there he was in all, all his glory, no helmet on, uh... And you two know, fights uh, right off the bat. I think, um, what was it? Owen Nolan got into it um, with a couple guys. But, that, you know, <laughs> hey, I, I always wonder. All I remember is Guy Lafleur. Yeah, you don't remember. Well, yeah, he scored the lone goal. I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, why don't linesmen get paid more than referees? <laughs> they, they, they're the ones jumping in there. They're the ones, hey, they're catching haymakers left and right. Why don't linesmen? Because my, my, my high school. I'll give you a short answer. Yeah. I'll give you a short answer. When was the last time you saw a referee's name? I mean, a linesman's name in the headline of a sports call? <laughs> That's fair. That is absolutely yeah. fair. Yeah. Okay. No, it's just yeah. growing up, my uh, high school sweetheart, her her uncle, and you worked with him, is Wayne Bonney, right? He uh, he was a linesman. Yeah. And he always told me, those refs, they, 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 they should give us half their salary. But no, he was joking. But uh, yeah. you, so you still know, you still know Wayne Bonney, eh? Wayne is a great guy. Yeah. He lives in, I believe he's in Arizona now. Yeah, uh, just golfing every day and enjoying life. But yeah, Wayne was a uh, a tremendous line. And, and Another he, he, Montreal, well, from Ottawa, but uh, spent most of his life in Montreal. Yeah, and, he had uh, family in Ottawa. Yeah, but he also, I think he was one of the only linesmen ever do two games uh, in one day. He actually did a doubleheader in the 90s. So, but okay, so in to the, get into in the New York area. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, 
before we get to the chat, how do you become a, a, a referee, a linesman? It's the same process as your son, Ryan, took, right? So how do you actually get involved in this? Because you know what? They're always looking for referees. They're always looking for linesmen. So what's the process? Well, there was only one path when I was uh, starting. I mean, I started as a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, wanted to be a player. And I played. You know, I played hockey. But back in the day, um, you're talking in the 70s and early 80s, even when you played elite hockey, you were only on the ice four days a week, not seven days a week like you are now. Yeah. So I refereed on those days off. And, you know, when I never got drafted playing hockey, uh, it wasn't good enough. Um, I stayed refereeing. I was in college. I was going to John Abbott. And uh, I just kept moving up the ranks until someone from the NHL saw me and, and brought me in. And I spent... I spent parts of seven years in the minor leagues, you know, IHL, American I League, saw that almost a full decade before you got your call up. That's yeah, well, don't forget, don't forget it was one referee back then. It wasn't two. So you were in charge of the game by yourself. It didn't, they couldn't put you with a veteran and bring you in. And mm. um, so nowadays you still have that traditional path, but you also have the path my son took is they have a combine in Buffalo every year. The ref, uh, NHL officiating does, and they encourage ex players. Guys that never made the NHL, whether they're junior, Division One college, mm -hmm. um, maybe they played a bit in Europe, or they might have played American Hockey League, but they realize, I'm not going any higher. And while I'm still young enough, let's see if I can referee. So they go to the combine, about 100 of them or so, mm -hmm. and they play, they play many uh, tournaments of hockey. And when you're not playing, you take turns refereeing. And mm -hmm. then off ice, they, off ice, they put you through uh, physical tests. They, they they tell you what refereeing is all about. They show the same videos that the regular officials get at training camp. And at the end of the four day camp, they've sort of identified guys that have potential okay. and they place them in certain leagues. So Ryan got placed in the American hockey league last year. He wasn't on contract. He was just working for the American league and did about 80 games in the American hockey league. And I guess he, he obviously impressed them enough that this year they signed him to a minor league contract. So, um, Jeez, okay. So that's yeah. the NHL exposure combine is what they call it. Right now. Cause they, exactly. it used to not, that's, I don't think it even it had a name, uh, uh, back in the day. Okay. We have, well, a it's relatively new. It's only been around about 10 years, I think. Okay. Yeah. Cause I remember looking into it back in the day when I was talking to Wayne Bonnie and, and he was just saying, you got to know people more or less, and then you kind of have to be a good skater. And then he looked at my legs. He's yeah. like, you're too short. Um, so, okay. I have a question here from James and this is actually a really good one. Nowadays, we heard at the beginning there, the sports betting is everywhere. It is, it's one of the few things that sponsors hockey. Um, and it's an every broadcast. Does that put more pressure you think on referees to do their, to, to, to get it right hundred percent of the time? Cause now it's more than just rabid fans. You have money from people involved in here. You know, you have, you know, sports yeah. betting agencies, you have Vegas involved. So does that change anything? No, not one thing because, Contrary to what a lot of fans think, mm -hmm. I lived and breathed and died with every call I made on the ice my entire yeah. career, as did everybody I worked with. The attention to detail and the focus and the willingness to get every call exactly right was all-consuming. So adding betting to that doesn't change anything. I'm already at 100%. Now, my average is probably about 50, but <laughs> I, was shooting, I was shooting for 100%. And that's, that's what every guy out there in the ice does. Betting doesn't change that one bit. No. They want to get the call right. Okay. Who was, and for the, you can name one for the Canadians and one in the NHL, but who was the most fun guy to deal with when you, when you were active? Oh, I wish you would have asked me that this afternoon. I would have compiled a list. Because um, <laughs> I know I know some guys yeah. were, were fun with, like Marc Bergevin was great with refs. 
you know, there were others that maybe, you know, maybe guys like Chris Nyland were a little more difficult to work with in Montreal. Um, who's the first no, guy when well, you I think mean, of, like, just a guy that made I've your crack up? Chris. Chris is a Chris is a good guy. Yeah. Uh, really intense. I mean, Chris Chelios, I've gotten to know pretty well. You know, we, we work at ESPN together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, Chris would get really wound up, and he'd come over, and he'd start yelling at you. And I'd just say, he stopped swearing at me. He'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then, you know, he would just he would just stop. He was such a professional, such a, I mean, such a great player. Um, i got to be honest with you. Yeah. Most players in the NHL are, are great guys. Really? Even when you even when you have shouting matches, you'll be dropping, you know, explosives every now and then. Um, funny story. <laughs> I remember during the lockout, I I taught high school back in two thousand four, two thousand five, and I I would routinely talk hockey with teachers that weren't necessarily huge hockey fans. And when we went back to work the following year, they became fans of Canadians games when I was refereeing. Okay. And I saw the guy the next day. He wasn't a huge hockey fan, but he goes, I saw you last night, and it must have been a boring game because you were yawning in the third period. And I said, you know, I can't imagine ever yawning during a right. hockey game. And uh, he goes, no, there was a player over. He was yelling at you and everything, and you put your hand in your mouth and you were yawning. <laughs> I said, no, I wasn't yawning. I just didn't want anyone to read my lips. You were uh, swearing in both languages, weren't you? <laughs> well, I never really swore a lot. No. Uh, because I felt that didn't give me a leg to stand on if I had to give him a sportsman like, okay. but, but I was telling him what I thought of what, what he was, uh, what he was accusing me of. So yeah, let's just leave it at that. What was the, okay. I'm sure okay, going back to guys like Chris Nyland, I mean, you've dealt with some heavyweights in and around the NHL, especially in that era, you know, your first game, there was two fights. You were around in the Probert area, the stew, you know, the, anyways, there oh, was yeah. a lot of really tough guys. Who was the scariest guy on the ice for you guys that before the game, you kind of looked at your lines when you said, Godspeed, you know, like watch this guy. Well, fighters never scared me. Okay. Um, I would say, you know, geez, I'm glad I'm not another fighter because that guy would scare me. Yeah. But uh, m- most fighters uh, were, were truly guys with massive hearts and just great guys. Uh, they'd, they'd come over and talk to you. And f- you can ask Wayne Bonney this. I mean, most fighters, there's a code. And when they're beating a guy and when the fight's over, yeah. they break up pretty easily. The scariest fights are when you get two guys that aren't fighters. And they have no you know, idea how, to, how to fight. Yeah. They're not fighting for sport or for, you know, to protect, protect their jobs. They're fighting out of sheer terror and fear. Yeah. And they could do anything. They don't stop when you ask them. They just keep throwing punches. Hmm. Um, not necessarily a cleanest of fights. So those are the guys you got to look out for. But um, no, there's nobody. I mean, the respect level, even though fans might think it's bad or players, sometimes they'll just, you know, what they have to say is over the, over the line. I never felt threatened physically by anyone on the ice. Um, there's just too much respect out there. Even though they, they sometimes are yelling at the referee, there's still a ton of respect. A lot of times you'll see guys, you won't see them, but on a commercial stoppage, they'll come over to you afterwards and say, hey, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have said what I did, and I, I overstepped the, you know, the boundaries. And, yeah, the players are good guys. There is funny because the, 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 one of the nicest guys in the Montreal Canadiens is a rookie known as Arbor Jack guy who – would probably be able to toss a minivan across the street, you know, and he's just, just a, such a gentle giant. So that's my experience yeah. as well. I, tough, okay. Though. I know. He's he's, tough. Oh God, he is tough, but you know what I'm at, And, and we'll have to move on quickly, but I, I don't want him to have to prove his worth anymore. I think, and I'm not trying to compare him to Jean Beliveau, but I'm hoping it kind of falls into a thing where 
you're, you know, first year you have to prove your yourself. And then from there, you hopefully don't have to fight every single game. Cause as a rookie, 10 fights in a year is, is, is a lot to do, especially these days. You don't hear that at all. Do you remember when Ray Bork came in the league? Yeah, absolutely. I've watched a video of Ray Bork fighting yeah. on a regular basis. He had to fight everybody. Yeah, just to, just to, and, and that's like, that was Bork. a year one thing, Ray right? Ray Bork. Yeah. One of the greatest defensemen in the history of the game. Yeah. And he had to fight, uh, you know, two, three times a week. And, and then, then he, and then for the rest of his career, you, you just don't never touch had Ray. To fight again. Exactly, no. but uh, no. I, and Mark Messier, Mark Messier was uh, sort of the same way. Yeah, and yeah, Gordy Mark Messier is a whole. superstar. Yeah. yeah, you know, people just don't mess with Messier because well, you know it's it, tough. It's kind of when we saw. I don't know if you remember the the final scene Tampa Bay and, and Calgary, but when Aguinla and Le Cavalier fought, you know, we were saying yeah. like, "Geez, these are two big boys that don't have to fight, but know how to fight." And that was one of the best finals. I've ever watched. Okay, we spoke about this before going on live, but let's go back to it. Do you remember when Ron McLean, because Andrew's asking in the chat here, Ron McLean mentioned at one point that referees from Montreal should not ref Habs games. However, he never mentioned you. He didn't specifically say it was French referees, but by not mentioning you, he essentially circled all the French referees from Quebec. Did, did you guys talk about that? Did you? What was your reaction to hearing that type of comment? To, to be quite honest, at the time, there was no social media. Okay. And we didn't, we didn't read sports news. You don't, you don't watch <laughs> that stuff because you really don't because it's soul crushing. And I tell referees now, do yourselves a favor. Don't, they're not allowed to have Twitter, but don't even go on and read about your game last night because no one's going to, if you do a good job, no one's going to say you did a good job. It's only the negativity, and it's yeah. just going to get in your head. So, you know, I never really – someone told me about, about that years ago, and I was like, you know, I didn't know whether to go, uh, hey, how about me? You forgot me. Right? <laughs> but, you were the uh, only one from you know, Montreal, if I remember correctly at the time. Like, the actually only ref that was from, you know, the island proper. Yeah, I think Mark Joannette. Oh, yes, uh, yes, 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 from, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes, he was from Verdun. It is from Verdun. But you know what? Um, you can't win. I mean, you really can. I mentioned a really quick story. Yeah. I worked the game in Boston, Montreal, Boston, a week before the playoffs started, and it was predetermined already that Montreal was going to play Boston. In Montreal the was round. eighth, right? I remember they were in Boston. I believe so. First. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they went into Boston on a Thursday night, and the playoffs were starting like on Tuesday, and Boston just gooned them. They just set the tone uh, for the for the upcoming playoffs, and there must have been seven or eight fights that night. I worked with Paul Dvorsky. And we had our hands full. I mean, it was it was a tough hockey game. Mm -hmm. That meant nothing. Uh, nothing didn't matter who won the game because the standings were set. And uh, so, because I was living in Montreal at the time, I drove to you know I drove stayed overnight, drove home the next morning, and uh, I put on Boston Sports Radio. And for two and a half hours up through Vermont, I listened to them, the viewers, the callers, the hosts, just carving me. <laughs> Dave Jackson from Montreal, you know. Loves the Montreal Canadiens. Lover. Screwed yeah. the Bruins last night. He's a homer. He's a homer. He hated Bobby Orr. Right Berlin, yeah, right around Burlington, Vermont, you know, the static came in. So I switched to, like, the Montreal sports talk radio stations. And without missing a beat, Dave Jackson's from Montreal. He wants to prove he's not a homer. He screwed Montreal so bad last night. And they were all over me. I'm just going, like, I, I can't win here, you know. Both teams think I'm a homer. One thinks I'm an anti-homer, and it's just, yeah. So that's so when you, you know just, you're you know doing what, it right. You just, you just tune it all out. That's right. Make them all mad and tune it all out. 
Absolutely. Well, hey, and you know, it's funny because again, it's so many times I've caught myself saying, hey, once upon further review, <laughs> I like the look of that. So referees nowadays don't have that option of, of, of the instant review, but in rugby, I don't know if you've noticed this, Dave, but what they do is when there is an issue and they're not quite certain, they actually go to a review booth, they announce it, and then the review booth has a mic themselves. So the conversation between the ref and the ref in the review booth is aired live. They come to a decision and then they make it. Would you like to see something like that implemented in hockey? It would kind of be more of a like an on-site Toronto type thing. Yeah. You know what? I mean, in theory, it sounds great, but mm -hmm. you spoke about it earlier. You hate the outside rule. It's a momentum killer. Yep. Yep. It's right? that balance. So, like, so what are we going to do? I mean, I think we, I think we have it pretty good now. Yep. Uh, I, like, I look back to my career, the amount of high sticks I called that were actually follow throughs and I could have reviewed them now mm -hmm. and taken the penalty away and got it right. Like, oh my God, like the sleepless nights I would have, would have avoided if I'd have been able to do that. Um, guys call major penalties now like in the past you would go geez i've got to be really sure to make sure that's a major penalty because it's real significant five minute power play and the guy's out of the game yeah now yeah i don't want to say you don't ever make anything up ever but if you're 90 percent sure go with your gut call the major penalty and you get to review it and if you look at at the reviews that they that they give on the major penalty mm -hmm. i'd say about 90 percent of the majors they call are upheld yeah so they were actually right with the original call but you know what nobody complains about it afterwards because hey you made the right call and then you can go on and you don't spend the rest of the game wondering did i make the right call you well, got it right it's and and we have to also accept and again i know i always get yelled at by both sides you know regardless of the game because i i, I call it how i see it but if you make a mistake, that's the only time that you mention it. So like you say, it's one of those jobs where you have to get it right 100% of the time, which is very, you know, like very, very rough compared to all of us who, for example, I've made about 50 mistakes today. So, you know, you got to start, you're going to start the game 100% and get better. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, I have a question for you for a guy like Nick Suzuki, who presents himself as he might as well be 95 years old out there. I don't think you've, you've never refed a game with Nick though, right? You were retired, I believe, before he came in the league. But you can see him um, out there. He's got that just yeah. the, the the polite man, almost the Jean. Again, I, I don't want to compare him to Jean Biliveau, but acts like him as a captain. He never yells back. Yep. Does that build up a little bit more respect, a little more quickly with referees around the league? You know, people talk to me and they say, who are some of the guys you respected the most when you refereed? Mm -hmm. I look at a Joe Sakic. Yep. I Steve Eiserman. Uh, Nick, Nick Lidstrom. Yeah. yeah. Like these guys just, they leave you alone. They, they, they come over and they saku koivu. They don't, they're not always in your face. They're not always trying to back to like my thing about coaches. They're not trying to work you. There There's you a go. respect factor. And, and, and you can tell these guys sometimes, listen, I made a mistake. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make up for it because that would be two mistakes, but I'm going to be better. And I'm sorry. Okay. And you know, they'll accept that. You just mentioned something right there that a lot of people accuse refs of is the makeup calls. So, you know, it's almost too easy because there's so many calls in a game that inevitably, even if it is a legitimate penalty, you can say that's a makeup call. So is this theory of makeup calls legitimate? Is that something that you guys do? Because obviously it's something that referees are accused of quite often. They've been accused of that for the, since, the turn, since the dawn of the game, right? Yeah. Um, all I will say about that is nobody likes making a bad call. If I make a bad call then I'm going to tell myself that's the last bad call I'm going to make. I'm going to be perfect the rest of this way in. 
And all I can say to that is occasionally mm-hmm. you're trying so hard to be perfect and not miss something else that you might overreact. But it's not done intentionally. You're not saying I'm going to call a cheap one to even things up because going back to what I said about the loggers in Toronto, yeah, they don't. They look at it very analytically. They don't go, "Wow, that was okay because the other one was bad." No, they list each call and rate each call. So if I make a bad makeup call, mm-hmm. that means I've got two calls wrong, not just one. And, and that, that might goes cost you the first my, round. Might cost me the playoffs. You know, it could cost a guy a hundred grand if he yeah. doesn't get playoffs. Yeah. And so no. Nobody's out there going, I'm going to just find a penalty to make it up. But having said that, I'm not saying they're human nature. You want to make sure you don't miss one. Yeah. And overreaction happens. Absolutely. You overreact and you go, geez, like, I wish I wish I would have taken a second. I wish I would have. I can remember the biggest games I ever worked, like playoff games, if they were overtime games. I had to keep telling myself in my head, don't overreact. You've got more time than you think. You know what you think, you think if you put that arm up half a second late, everyone's going to go, Oh, it was a crowd that called it. No, half a second is nothing, but give yourself that half a second, really analyze it. Don't overreact. And that's where I think the mark of the, the greatest officials have that down pat. They never overreact. Now you just mentioned something that's interesting and relevant to Montreal because I swear throughout the history the Habs fans have called some penalties. Uh, I was in the crowd. I know it, Dave. I I got that call made. So okay, I know it does impact some players. They get more motivated. But how how does it? How do you do? How do you deal with twenty two thousand people? You know, just absolutely eviscerating you in both languages. You know, the the tabernacles are flying left and right. How do you deal with that in Montreal? Yeah. Honestly, the crowd doesn't affect you one iota. No, not one iota. It's a collective. The glass is so high, you never really hear individuals yelling at you. Okay. All you hear is the is the collective volume as it rises. <laughs> yeah. The external pressure you get comes from from yourself, which I guess is internal pressure, mm-hmm. and you're telling yourself, you know what, you got to be better, or or you don't overreact. And the external pressure comes from the two guys behind the two benches, the coaches and the 40 players on the ice that are working you and working you and working you constantly all night long. That's where the pressure comes from. I, I couldn't care less about the roar of the crowd. Well, you know, I, I always say I knew Montreal's crowd was back because I was working during the pandemic for the Canadians, and I knew, you know, they're back when they start booing every single time a Habs player falls, and they don't they boo yeah. when there's not a tripping penalty. That's when you know, like the Habs fans are in are in are in a healthy situation and they're back. Uh, we have and what some... you hate about that is it works the it works the team up. Does it? Your team right? starts it does, believing eh? your team starts believing that you know every well, single time a guy falls, there's twenty thousand referees in the crowd, and they all think that's a penalty. Yeah. So you know they it, that builds a momentum bit and the funny thing is sometimes what i will admit that we do if you've had a rough period mm-hmm. whether you were right or wrong but the crowd's really on you yeah you make sure you don't come back you don't come back on for the next period when there's no teams on the ice oh, you, you don't do your <laughs> you time your arrival with the home team <laughs> is montreal the only city boo. that will absolutely boo the refs every single time they do their early lap does that happen in other no. cities no it happened in all 32 cities <laughs> that's when you know you're doing the the, the job right dave um okay yeah. I have a question here from a Dill Pickle, which is actually more of a technical question. Not not a Dill Pickle. The person is called Dill Pickle. Um, what's the difference between getting offsetting minors and having two minors that are concurrent at the same time? And that's actually a good... I, I've never actually figured that out. So what's the difference there? 
Uh, you're gonna have to explain that question to so me. So offsetting. So for example, you know, volume. offsetting. Uh, two guys go off and it's five on five, but sometimes two guys get yeah. a penalty on the same play and it's four on four. So how do you? Is it, okay, is it, cool. it yeah. has to happen in so, the same sequence or? So um, anytime you call two minutes on uh, both teams, mm -hmm. as long as you're playing at full strength, it drops to four on four. Oh really? Once okay. you're at, once you're at four on four. Mm -hmm then any coincidental penalties don't go on the clock. So, for example, you don't drop the three-on-three. Three. Okay. So that's basically it. And if you have multiple penalties, let's say you have a, a fight or a scrum and you're calling three players on each team, mm -hmm. they offset completely. You stay five-on-five. Five. The only time two penalties, one on each team drops, is when you're already five-on-five, five, you drop to four-on-four. Four. Okay, okay. Now, you could get the three-on-three three if you're already at four-on-four, and you call one team, so you drop the four on three, and then during that four on three, you call the other team again. It puts you three on three, but that's that's the only time. Okay, okay. So, and how thick is the rule book again? It's about what, like six hundred or four hundred uh, pages or something like that. <laughs> well, you've got the you've got the rule book right here, which is you've got a lot, and then yeah. you've got uh, well, then you've got a case book that has about you know. A million examples, and and you guys, and like, do you guys ever got, get tests for this, or like, is there like an oh entry test or what? You know what? Uh, I didn't mention that earlier, but every week mm -hmm. the officials get a rules test. Every week, it's, oh. it's every week. It's good fun. It's not like if they get them wrong, they're not going to get playoffs yeah, or whatever. <laughs> but what it does is it forces guys to get into the rule book and look the rule up and answer it. Yeah, it's just a way of it's a way of forcing them to. You only get in trouble if you don't answer your rule test. So they don't care so much about the results as they do the fact that you're actually making the effort to yeah. find out the answer. So that keeps the guys current. And plus, you know what? There's memos. There's rule memos and rule videos. Uh, Stephen Walkham sends out a, um, a email with a video. Mm -hmm. It's about a five-minute video every week, and he calls it Calls of the Week. Yeah. And he picks the best calls that were made by guys, like whether they were gutsy calls, whether they were real close judgment, close offside, um, a good goal interference calls, and he sends those out. And it just it just builds pride. Guys go, oh, wow, I made it this week. That, that was a great call. My boss is acknowledging it. Yeah. And it just builds. We're a team as well. Yeah, well, that's the other side of it is that people, again, I know nobody really would love the rest are not buying zebra shirts out there, but nobody wants to do a bad job. And there is a reason why, yeah, exactly, why you actually apply yourself. You know, you don't want to be in the paper the next day okay 1500 games more than that what was your best memory dave because i mean you did you did sochi you did uh you know you even did the memorial cup if i remember yeah. correctly uh you had your 100th in game yeah. in montreal it was buffalo i believe so what, what was your best memory out of yeah. all that i'd say all those milestone games it yeah. really were um you always remember your first game at Quebec City. <laughs> uh, first playoff game I ever worked was in um, Carolina when they were still in Greensboro before they moved to Raleigh. Oh, really? Um, my first game seven I ever worked. I mean, a game seven is a big deal because that means everything's that on the line. Of all the yeah, but of all the guys that are still available to work in the playoffs, so you've been chosen. So you nice. and your partner have been chosen to work at game seven. Uh -huh. um, you put a lot of pressure on yourself for game seven. Um, only worked, you know, three game sevens my whole career, but still the, those are things you remember. There's not a lot of game sevens. No, I think in the history of the of NHL, there's been less than 200 game sevens. Yeah. So, um, that I, I, I had the fortune enough to do two all-star games mm -hmm. and those are memorable, not because of the hockey, but because 
you bring your family and your family sacrifices and so no, one, much no one's booing you <laughs> no one's boo- well i got booed in tampa when i uh, <laughs> you got booed in an all-star er- game <laughs> early in my career i had a real issue with every time i did a game in tampa yeah this was back when they were just just an expansion team and you know how every i mean i won't even bring up names but the montreal fans you ask them Oh yeah. Which referee they hit the most, and there's oh, probably the, one or two, right? It's come up in the chat about fifty times already. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and I could probably guess. I could probably. <laughs> oh yeah, guess you would I'm guess exactly there, who it is, but we're not going to yes. go there today. Um, so I was that guy in Tampa. <laughs> oh, okay. I was that guy in Tampa early on. They were talking 1991, 92, somewhere in there. And uh, in 1999, I was selected to be the standby referee. So we only had one referee back then. That wasn't a two referee system. Okay. So they had a standby referee. So the standby referee would get dressed and do the skills competition. Okay. And they announced <laughs> the referee for the skills competition. And I got booed. <laughs> the, the backup referee sorry, for the skills Dave, competition got a standing ovation. Boo. Yeah. So, but when I go, when I talk about all-star games, I worked in LA in 2002 and my final year I worked in Tampa, back in Tampa. And um, it was so memorable because my wife and kids had, you know, the badge around their neck, full access. My kids got autographs, talked to the players, talked to people in the game. Mm-hmm. To see the smiles on their faces for all they sacrificed for when we're on the road 20 yeah. days a month, uh, it was uh, it was really satisfying. Then my final game, um, that was pretty emotional. It was what, Just, Phoenix uh, and Los Angeles, right, I believe? Phoenix and Los Angeles. Both teams lined up to shake my hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, both coaches waited on the bench, shake my hand after the game. And uh, unlike my 1,000th game, my 1,500th game, I had a massive party afterwards. <laughs> 100, 100 people. This game, I had my family and about four close friends, and that was it. And it was <laughs> obviously the guys I worked with. Mark Joannette from yeah. Verdun. Pierre, Pierre Rassico from Verdun. Um, and Lonnie Cameron from British Columbia, but it was just a very somber evening. It was bittersweet. You know, you realized yeah, it's the end of the road. Well, because yeah. you're, you're, you're losing. I mean, when players retire, they kind of lose that whole aspect of having that structure, that everyday thing, being part of a team, being part of a crew. I assume that's the exact same exactly. thing yeah. for referees, right? Exact, exact same thing. I don't miss the pressure and the stress. I miss pregame meals at lunchtime, hanging out with the guys you're working yeah. with. Getting the getting to the rink early, just you know, getting undressed, putting your long johns on, and just drinking coffee and stretching, warming up, talking to the guys. I really miss that camaraderie, and that's I think that's everybody who either a player, or referee, coach. That's what they miss when they leave the game. Yeah, the chat's saying they've been really well behaved, and they have. Thank you, all of you, have been great. Okay, I'm gonna have to ask, what's with the guitars? I think it was Trizak that asks. He wants to know more about the guitars behind you. Are you a big guitar player? I'm a big guitar collector. A collector. Okay. Uh, I, I play, I play at guitar. I'm, uh, <laughs> you know of music? You know, yes. <laughs> I, I, I know of guitar. I can, I can play four or five chords and I can, uh, I can strum along, but, uh, you're not going to see me doing any open mics anytime You're soon. You're not going to imitate Jimi Hendrix. Uh, uh, I am not. Any moment. Not. Yeah. Okay. I need to know because you guys, well, actually, I think it's, I, I saw a, a, a stat where I think soccer referees actually put in the most cardio, but you guys really aren't too far off. Um, and I think maybe the linesman, who, who does more skating, linesmen or referees? I, I assume uh, linesmen, right? No, the referees skate yeah. more, I think, because the linesmen the linesmen primarily skate on stoppages. 
Yeah. I mean, they go blue line to blue line, but then they, but then they they stop that icing. Okay. Yeah. Whereas, um, when it was one referee, I remember, uh, doing a game in uh, Maple Leaf gardens and they put, it was, this was early nineties. So Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure it was necessarily a heart rate monitor, but it was like a pedometer or something that measured distance. And I, I think I ended up skating about nine miles. Nine miles. Jeez, that's more than I've exercised and I've done since the pandemic. Well, so. uh, yeah. But obviously now with the two referee system, you skate about half, maybe two thirds of that. And most of it's backwards now. So you, oh, you skate up. I, I shouldn't say most of it. Half of it's backwards, but your hard skating's done backwards because you fall out of play. So mm-hmm. back in the one referee day, you had to actually catch the play. You yeah. had to be at both nets when the puck was shot. Which so the, was the training must have been a lot more intense back then, right? Because you, you had to be one of the best athletes on the ice. They still make sure that your cardio is right up there. The uh, I used to rue training camp. You know, I yeah, spent my summer What, you get beep drinking. tests or what is it? <laughs> yes, you get beep tests. You got uh, the um, wing gate test on the bike. You've got shuttle uh, agility shuttle runs. You've got push-ups, crunches, planks, uh, long jumps. Um, the fat calipers, the checking how much body fat you got. Oh, God. Um, you know what? The greatest thing was the day after the fitness test because the donuts, the, <laughs> the bland, the bland chicken breast and the Miller ultra were behind you for another <laughs> eight months. And, uh, yeah. The chats keep asking about Kerry Fraser because they're saying he was hated by everyone. I don't think that was the case, honestly. I know as someone that was watching it at the time, other than the Leafs complete first of all, the Leafs wouldn't have necessarily won the cup there because the Habs had a pretty darn good team and also it wasn't uh game seven. But what was it like working around Kerry Fraser? He must have been great. He was taking all the attention, wasn't he? Well, you know, for the uh first half of my career, it was one referee system. I'd only ever see Kerry at training camp. Okay. So we, we wouldn't work together. When we came in the two referee system, I'd been in the league at that point uh, a number of years. I didn't work a lot of games to carry. Um, he would work primarily with younger guys. Okay. But, um, you know, one of the greatest referees ever. I remember him being quite respected before that whole incident. He was the go-to guy all the time, the one that knew the rules the best. I know his image well, has changed since the, then, but... Even the... Even the um, yeah, I believe you're talking about the Toronto yeah, LA yeah, incident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he got yeah, you know what? Gilmore, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a miss it's a missed call. It's those are kind of things that unfortunately like, probably define you because people still talk about it. Yeah. But it's one call of it's hundreds of thousands of calls he got right. And uh you know, you look at all those guys, Kerry Fraser, Don Koharski, uh, Bill McCreary, Dan Marowell. I mean, those guys were Terry Gregson. They were guys that yeah. for a long time were were the faces of the league and worked the finals and represented represented us very well. I well, mean, and, and legends. Back then, and again, I know I'm going to you know sound old when I say this, but without the echo chamber of social media, I think there was actually a more of a level of appreciation for, you know, because you weren't necessarily seeing mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. You were watching one guy make a mistake every once in a while as opposed to having it you know, lined up, you know, so you didn't really obsess about that Bill Buckner-esque type mistake, you know, and you didn't define him there. Well, that's just, and and our standard changed so much too. After the lockout of 2005, our standard changed immensely. It used to be, you could miss something unintentionally Mm -hmm. and, you know, Bob Cole or whatever would be going, well, it's just good judgment there. He's letting him play. (laughs) (laughs) When in reality, you missed it. You just didn't see it. Uh, And now that's not accepted. 
Now they expect you to call, which I think is good for the game. Yeah. That's, can you imagine Mario Lemieux, what he oh, fought through? I, or Wayne, Dave, Wayne, I, Wayne Gretzky? Mario I go back Lemieux, to those clips and, the and players. there were so many guys parasailing off Mario Lemieux. They were just literally just hanging off of him, getting dragged there. It was. I ugh. think Gretzky and Lemieux would have 200 goals a season if we if they played under these the rules we have today. Easily, they were just they were just that good. They, I watched. They, they truly were. I watched a clip recently because when I was younger, it was really fun watching when Jagger first joined the league and him and Lemieux. Yeah. They were spinning around the zone for about maybe 45 seconds. Dave, I will say there was about 12 slashes, 15 hooks, 13 cross checks. Uh, Darius Kasparitis broke his stick three times. You know, like uh, if that was what they're yeah. seeing today, people would be losing their minds. But I think we do have to admit, obviously it got much better. And, and for the better of the game, let's it's, be perfectly honest. For the better of the game. And I'm going to date myself, but I was a huge Flintstones fan. You know, yeah. the cartoon. Yeah, but I would do. And I remember Fred, Fred went back to uh, Princeton yeah. and played football. And he'd get the football and he'd have four guys on his back and he'd still, you know, Drag him in. he'd still run all the way down, score a touchdown. And I think that's Mary Lemieux. Yeah. Like he, had, he had guys hooking his arm. He, he have one hand on his stick. He'd have another guy pulling at him, slashing him, and he'd still score a goal. Yeah, I, he'd, I just, w- he'd, he'd go through them all. He was, to, again, he was giving guys parasailing lessons while winning scoring records. And I'll say this, Dave, I actually think Mario Lemieux by far, and no disrespect to Wayne Gretzky, but Mario Lemieux was the most talented player to ever lace them up by far. And Wayne Gretzky, God, he had that offensive instinct, but watching Mario Lemieux in his prime was something else. Mario was a physically, yeah, I mean, he was a specimen, right? 6'4", 200-some pounds, uh, sheer, you know, end-to-end, coast-to-coast, I'm going to score a goal. Whereas I think Wayne, um, I didn't referee Wayne early in his career no um it was more later in his career i i I never refereed him when he was in edmonton winning winning all the cups but i'll tell you something about wayne gretzky he made every player on that ice around him a better player he he just he would just set people up he just you go stand by the net i don't care how many guys just go stand by the net put your stick down i'll find you that was literally get your stick on the ice and I think people do yeah, underestimate he was a now. Tremendous playmaker. When they see the goalies from the '80s, they're like, anyone could score on that. Now, I, I don't think they understand the gap in talent between Wayne Gretzky and everyone else, uh, and it's still a gap that hasn't, you know, like there's a tighter gap now yeah. between Connor McDavid and and the Stars. But the gap back then between Wayne Gretzky and let's say oh. Doug Gilmore was just, you know, it was a chasm. It, it was, was yeah, it, it was. And people say that about everything. You know, go back to baseball. Babe Ruth. You know, he was overweight. He was doesn't matter. <laughs> he was a he pitcher was, too. He was he pitching was better, but and he was better though than yeah. anybody, any of his peers. So you know, I become close with Grant Fuhrer, and Grant Fuhrer's numbers, mm-hmm. uh, like save percentage or whatever, aren't what they what the guys today are. Look at the eighties. It doesn't I mean. matter that era. Look at that equipment. Look at the training. Look at the uh, how they position themselves. He was just an athlete. He 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 stopped pucks with his reaction. He wasn't positioning. Um, and his pads Grant weighed Fuhr about was, 100 pounds each when they got water in them between each period. Was, you know? Grant Fuhrer <laughs> was better than than anyone else of his era. Mm-hmm. He won all those Stanley Cups. He was a money goalie. If Grant Fuhrer was parachuted into today's game with how they train in junior hockey, the huge the nutrition, the, the equipment, he'd, be, he'd still be head and shoulders above everybody. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what area you play it in. You're better than all your competition. Yeah, and that's that's the exact same argument I make when people say, oh, Maurice Richard would be a fourth liner. I mean, you have to stop yourself real quick there and say, like, first of all, 
No, this is a guy who moved his, 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 you know, moved someone, literally like all their furniture and scored nine goals in one night. We have to calm down. And the, and the sticks were made out of a freshly chopped tree, you know, that, 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 that hadn't dried out. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, they have a question here with Jeff Bovaz mentioning, was the Alain Cote goal good, Dave? Do you know what he's talking about when I say the Alain Cote I goal? do. Kerry yeah. made, Kerry made the right call. Yeah. I Kerry made so the right call in, in an era where you, those calls were never made. Yeah. And Kerry made Kerry made the right call. And I think Michel Bergeron, <laughs> uh, he, he he lost it uh, a little he bit. Was, <laughs> he was awfully up, awfully upset, but I believe Kerry made the right call. Is there ever a call that you look back at and you say, "Wow, I really missed that one"? Because I know Dave, I've spoken to you and Twitter a bunch of times, and I, I know you want to get these things right. So there must be something that kind of weighs on you. Did you have your your Bill Buckner moment, your your Kerry Frazier miss, missing a high stick moment? We don't have enough time on this, on this podcast for that. <laughs> yeah, you were telling me you got about 50% you know, right, so, you know. <laughs> no, you know what? I mean, there, there, there was a play in Toronto one night where um defenseman for Washington, a Russian defenseman, came around behind the net. I believe Darcy Tucker of course started at his own goal started his own goal line and, and leapt through the air and yeah. I think knocked him unconscious. I needed to stretch him off the ice and my partner and I both said it was a good hit and I look back on that now and go, what what was I thinking? Um, was that the standard back then or was that no okay, no that so was definitely a penalty it, okay. it was definitely a penalty and, and you beat yourself up yeah. um i've called uh i i had a call i made in the playoffs tampa washington one night uh, the goaltender high stick somebody and i felt it was careless but i look back on it afterwards yeah. it was it, it was a follow-through but in my head i wasn't thinking a goaltender making a normal shooting motion and he cut the guy i believe he cut Vinny lecavalier and Tampa scored on the power play and they won that game and went on the win the series. And it, you know, it's, it's, it's calls like that, that haunt you. And, yeah. um, but I look back on that now and with video replay, I could have reviewed that high stick and gotten rid of it. And well, they're doing that now. The next round. They're doing but that they now. Are. That's one thing. They I are, but, you, uh, how does that get, uh, um, triggered? Like how do they, cause I've seen sometimes they come together and they say, Hey, by the way, I saw that you missed this. They have their little huddle. That's every fan loves it. Why doesn't that happen more often? What, what triggers that exactly? Well, specifically for high sticks. Now you're allowed to, if you call, if you call a two minute high stick, you, you live with it. If you call a four minute double minor high stick where a player is injured and another misconception it doesn't have to be blood. Well, there, there's no injured, blood in the rule book. There's no word blood in the rule book. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It says injury. So a guy's missing his teeth or he has a massive abrasion down the side yeah. of his face. You can call that injury four minutes. And once you call four minutes, that triggers your ability to review that. Okay. And that's not a challenge. That's up to the referee's discretion. But hmm. if the team's losing their mind, you know they've seen the video. Yeah. You might want to review it. Yeah. And you have you have three options. You can uphold the call, a double minor. Or I should say you have two options. You can uphold the call or you can get rid of it completely. Okay, it can't go back um, to the just a regular people, minor or anything. No, okay. Can't go back to a uh, regular minor. The only reason you would uh, get rid of it would be it was the puck that hit him. Mm -hmm. It was a follow-through or it was his own teammate that hit him. And then you would just get rid of it. So you refereed in the forum, and for some of our, our our younger fans here, I always try to explain how special it was. There was there was a, absolutely an aura in the forum. I mean, at one point there was cigarette smoke down to the rafters, but you know you had the seats yep. that were actually over you. They were kind of they were they were popping in seats left and right. What was it like, you know, refereeing? The, I I don't know if you got many games there because you started what? Uh... Yeah, I uh, my first game there. I actually worked 
it was a um, a tour of the Canadian Olympic team. They played every uh, Canadian NHL team. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I got to sign that game. And that, that might have been 1990, okay. 1991. I know Eric Lindros was playing on the Olympic team oh, at the oh. time. A, a Quebec uh, he, favorite. Been yeah. Dra- <laughs> yeah, he'd been drafted and he didn't want to play for Quebec. So yeah. he was on the Olympic team. So whatever year that was, that was my first game in the Montreal Forum, okay. which – you know, you can say it's an exhibition game, but it was still a Montreal Canadiens playing. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty big deal. And then I was fortunate enough, my first year full-time, so I went, uh, I'd done a, probably about 50 NHL games up and down with the minors. Yeah. And then I went full-time NHL in 1993. And I got to do the home opener in the forum where they uh, raised they raised the banner. It's now oh, like wow. a banner from winning. They, they won the cup in the spring of 93. So, yeah. To be at center ice and watch that banner be raised, you know, as as a kid from Montreal, um, you know, just yeah. living through all those Stanley Cups, it, it, it was a pretty emotional moment to just be on that ice and my family in the crowd, and it was just, it was pretty neat. Yeah, and, and that was the essentially the end of an era for the Montreal Canadiens. They kind of put the, you know, the whole cap on and you had Jacques Demers as a coach. Listen, I, I dealt with him a decent amount in Montreal. My, my, my story was... When I was working with the Canadians, he came up to me once. I was leaving the um, Bell Center, and he said, tell me about analytics. I don't understand them. I want you to teach me because I want to get better. And as he's saying this, I'm staring at his Stanley Cup ring, just kind of forgetting, like, what's going on, you know? So I thought that was just so impressive that a guy like Jacques Damers that has, you know, all the all the, all the the pedigree in the world wanted to improve himself. How was it to deal with Jacques Damers? Because he seemed like just a gentleman. Oh, prince of a man. Yeah, just, just a... Uh tremendously classy individual mm-hmm. um he, he's another guy who wouldn't hold a grudge he might yell at you a little bit and then you know you go over to him between periods and say hey, listen i know i probably got that call wrong he'd go hey thanks for saying that but you know you're doing a good job move on and uh yeah a lot of time for jacques Demers. You just class act he's that's the answer i get absolutely everywhere dave okay we're gonna wrap up because i kept you way too long we're over an hour geez i'm so sorry dave i told you that 30 minutes we're over an hour uh i just it's I've... only it's only quarter to nine here in denver so it's still not past my bedtime perfect yet. well i mean i i and the chat said it as well we we really appreciate you coming and explaining some of these things because we understand you got to get it right or else you know people will say you're bad at your job so i think we got a little bit of a better appreciation for the game so we do enjoy uh the fact that you said yes and, and hey very few of us have eighteen thousand people that boo when we make a mistake in accounting or or, or anything like that so you know it, it's a completely yeah. different different job and we do appreciate the work that's done i think well the cool thing was my thousandth game in montreal mm-hmm. i actually got a standing ovation before the game started and then when they when they announced it so, well you know and then they, they won booed. the game eventually but and then, then they booed but it was, that's it was the montreal special ovation yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when you know you're appreciated. They cheer you, and then the puck drops, and it's time to boo you. Well, listen, we really appreciate you, Dave, and, and everyone that was in the chat. Make sure to uh, subscribe and like. I know I always forget to do that. We will be concluding in just one moment, but tomorrow we have another great guest. We have Owen Beck, Montreal Canadiens prospect, uh, Port Hope native. So he's going to be on the show today, uh, tomorrow, after the Senators game. But thank you very much, Dave, for joining us. Honestly, we really appreciate it, and we'd love to have you back at some point. Hey, we'll come back. We'll we'll uh, we'll solve the uh, goaltender interference problem. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm so far. I'm about oh no no. I think I got one right in the last two years, but that just goes to show, right? I, I, that one's a tough one. Do yourself a favor. Go to NHL.com and go to Video Rulebook. Okay, great video on it. Well, yeah, but then I couldn't complain on 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 the internet. No, come on. 
You can't have it both ways. <laughs> I absolutely can. All right. Thank you very much. That's Dave Jackson, former NHL referee. And right now you're doing, uh, it's ESPN, right? Correct. Okay. And they can find you on Twitter. Was the, uh, I, I forget what your Twitter is. I don't have it right here. But what's uh, it is ESPN NHL ref. All right. So follow him on Twitter and go on ESPN and get those rules explained. That way you don't seem like a dummy like me and complain and say, whoops, whoops. It, it was right this way. Thank you so much for joining us, Dave. On apprécie ça. Merci beaucoup. Thank you. Anytime, Mark. All right. So that is Dave Jackson. We're going to end it now. We're going to see you all tomorrow. Owen Beck after the Ottawa Centers game. Thank you to everyone in the chat. Love all of you. Much appreciated. And we'll see you tomorrow.